0: Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode, which was recorded live on the Locker Room app. Make sure to join me every week for a live episode. We're doing these at least once a week on the Locker Room app, uh, and then we post these episodes to Locked on Warriors, where you can subscribe, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, odyssey wherever you get podcasts for warriors talk every day monday to friday you are locked on warriors your daily golden state warriors podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day the warriors beat the bucks last night uh, they did it in an exciting way except really nice game particularly in that first half putting a double double together it was easily his best half of his rookie season and uh what struck me and what everybody wants to be talking about now is just how much more pick and roll the Warriors ran in that game and it was noticeable from the very beginning that they were going to focus on the pick and roll a lot more And there's a few reasons for that that I'll get to. One of them, of course, is that Milwaukee famously plays a drop coverage. And this is something that the Warriors knew going into the game that they scouted and had decided that they were going to attack. So when you have a team playing drop coverage, meaning that their center is going to hang out by the rim and not play up on pick and rolls, that is candy for a guy like Steph Curry. Uh, And so they went and attacked that all game long. I will say this. I thought that Milwaukee found ways to trap and switch throughout the game, seeing that Steph was going to lean heavily into that pick-and-roll type of stuff, into those screen actions on the ball. And in, on that last possession, when the Warriors needed a bucket, Steph came off the screen. He was trapped, you know, near the wing. Excuse me for that. Trapped near the wing, and uh, he had to get it out to Andrew Wiggins, who missed a three-pointer. Uh, Kelly Oubre gets the rebound gets fouled on the tip end, makes a two free throws to win the game. So it's not like the Bucs don't trap on pick and roll. And they're not aggressive on pick and roll at all. They they pick their spots to do that. But this is from Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. Steph ran 36 pick and rolls in that game, tied for the second most in a game this season. Uh, and they, they played really well in those pick and roll um, instances. Again, some of that was because they picked their spots against drop coverage. And I think a big part of it was James Wiseman just playing – um. again, his best game this season, a lot of people have been clamoring for the Warriors to run a whole lot more pick and roll this year. And it's understandable why I've gone on my podcast several times and said that they should. I don't think that they need to go full tilt, James Harden level pick and roll uh, all the time, but they can't just stiff arm it the way that they have in the past. Going into the game, the Warriors ran some of the, the the lowest frequency of pick and roll in the league uh ball uh, or roll men finished at the league uh at the league fewest rate um this season meaning that James Wiseman finishing with a dunk uh or something like that that happened the least amount for the Warriors out of any team this this year um and part of that is because also Draymond Green doesn't really finish out of those instances he likes to pass out of the role and things like that Kevon Looney does the same thing but For Wiseman, he becomes such an important part of that because unlike Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, he creates a vertical space and he creates that element. He creates a threat to score off of the role, and he did that Tuesday night. He did that Tuesday night, and coaches have been asking him more and more, hey, we need you to run the floor hard. We need you to run the floor fast. We need you to go from basket to basket in a straight line and not mess around with all this other stuff. They simplified things for James Wiseman over the last two days saying, this is what we need you to do. And credit to Wiseman. He did it. And he wouldn't have been able to do it in the past. He's been talking all along. Even the stats don't show it that he feels better now than he did at the beginning of the year. Even though a lot of people would argue that he's regressed and it looked like he did regress. And I was saying he looked like he regressed, but like I said, he played his best game of his rookie season in large part because he ran the floor hard, he set good screens, his timing was on point for the most part with Steph, and that's easier said than, than done, right? Again, for those clamoring that you should just be running pick and roll over and over again at the beginning of the year, there was no chemistry, there was no timing built up between him and Steph in high pick and roll. That takes time. And over the last couple of weeks, they've been practicing it. So it was a good moment for Wiseman. We've seen these things happen before for Wiseman. Right where he'd have a good game and then follow up with a bad game or, or a below-average game or whatever it might be. We've seen this from Steve Kerr, where he strips down the offense, makes it simple, run picks, uh, runs pick-and-roll over and over again, and then everybody thinks, oh boy, he's cha- he- Steve Kerr is turning the corner, he's going to turn this into more of a pick-and-roll offense, and then the next game he doesn't. And so, you know, maybe that happens again. I'll wait to see. I'm not going to sit here and and predict anything because I'm over it. You know, we've seen these start and stops too many times. But it did feel a little different to me Tuesday night. It felt a little different to me with the pick and roll stuff because you had a lot more set plays, a lot more play calls to get those pick and rolls. You don't just introduce new plays to the playbook for one game. You don't do that in the regular season. That's a thing you do in the playoffs. You don't do that in the regular season. They had this one play where, and look, I said this with my podcast on Connor. One of the reasons that you're not you're also not running a lot of pick and roll is because not only is the timing between Steph and Wiseman off, but with, with Draymond Green, you, know, you can't just park him in the corner or somewhere else on the floor uh, because you're going to have his defender sag off of him, get into the lane, and make things that much more difficult for Wiseman to get to the rim. And so that was a hard thing. So what did the Warriors do? Well, they introduced this play last night, and they ran it several times, where you have Draymond Green bringing the ball up the floor, And then off to the side, we have Steph Curry curling off of a screen set by James Wiseman. Draymond, uh, from a high point on the floor near the logo, will pass it to Steph as he curls off of that James Wiseman screen. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of going into a pick-and-roll action, but you still have a defender not playing off of Draymond because he just had the ball near the logo. And so that's a way to prevent Draymond Green's man from clogging up the lane on that pick-and-roll action. And really what it becomes is it's more of a little, little bit of a side pick-and-roll action. It's kind of in between a high pick-and-roll and a side screen pick-and-roll. Uh, but it worked. It really worked. And all of a sudden, you have that vertical spacing element to the offense. And and I thought that the Warriors played you know some of the best offensive basketball that I thought we saw because it had an identity, right? There was a rhythm to it. There was a pace to it. There was a pace to it. Eric writes in, look at Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley last season pick and roll versus this season. Uh, I'm not really – is it better? Because Mike Conley had a tough year last year. Um, So I would imagine it's better. But, yeah. Oh, so I I guess your point, Eric, being the time – it takes time for these guys to develop. And Mike Conley is a pro, right? I mean, he's a pro's pro. Pick and roll uh, savant. And it took him a minute with Rudy Gobert. Like, this takes time. And maybe this is a turning point. Now, again, we've seen these start and stops before. So I don't want to go so far as to say that this is going to be their offense going forward. But it should be. And there's more reason to believe that it could be. And like I said, it did. It felt different last night because you're running the set plays. You've got the timing now between Steph and Wiseman. That's not perfect by any stretch. It's not perfect. And James Wiseman, as good as he was in the first half, defensively he struggled in the second half and you couldn't keep him on the floor that much. There's still concerns that I have with him defensively like he, he has a hard time uh trapping and coming up and showing or hedging on the pick and roll and then getting back to the rim he kind of he lost Brook Lopez a couple of times and then you know he he came out of the game and didn't really get back in for a while um but there's, there's there's still concerns defensively but he'll get better at that stuff that stuff will come with time offensively if you can just find him something that he can hang his hat on because you look at Charlotte LaMelo Ball, the offense is built around him before he went down with the wrist injury. The offense was built around him. The offense was not built around James Wiseman in any way, shape, or form until last night. Then you can really tell it was a priority to get him involved. So that's what how it helps Wiseman. I want to talk about how it helps Steph Curry. Because the idea all along, and by the way, if you want to talk, just request to speak here on the Locker Room app, uh, happy to have a conversation about this stuff. Um... Steph Curry, man, he was awesome last night. 41 points, 30 points in the second half. What he does in isolation and in pick and roll, I mean, it's not a secret. Every year, it's a low frequency, but he rates among the best, most efficient pick and roll ball handlers in the league every single season, 90th percentile every year. He can do it. And in isolation, he's magical. I mean, the dribble moves, everything that he does in a one-on-one, he can do that stuff. So it got me thinking last night. It got me thinking last night. I understand that Steve Kerr builds this offense to to incorporate all the off-ball stuff with Steph Curry. When Clay Thompson comes back, you want all, you want all the side screening action and the side-to-side movement and all the ball movement and player movement and and all this read and react fun stuff. And that's really when it comes down to it. I still believe that that's where Steve Kerr is going to land. I think there's a middle ground though between that and some of this pick-and-roll stuff, and some of this isolation stuff. And I think they need to incorporate more pick-and-roll stuff for James Wiseman because you just picked the dude number two overall. And some of this isolation stuff because Steph Curry is really damn good at it. So it got me thinking. Could we maybe find this, uh, a new era of Steph Curry where if Steve Kerr leans into this more and kind of comes to this realization that, hey, this is not a team with... Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala anymore. I've got better athletes though, with Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman. So maybe we change the offense because this Steph dude can do it no matter what the offense looks like. And maybe it's not the best idea to count on Clay Thompson coming back and looking like he did, being able to come off of screens and pin downs and you know zooming around the the, the perimeter the way that he did coming off of now two consecutive ACL and an Achilles injury. Maybe it's not the best. Maybe we lean more into the Wiggins who's going to be 26 and more into Wiseman who just turned 20 years old and build the offense around them because Steph is going to be able to get his no matter what. And in today's NBA where the isolation stuff is so important in the playoffs, it is. And the ball movement stuff is important too. But the isolation stuff, when it comes down to it, really matters, really, really matters. And Draymond Green is not the guy. And look, I look again. I go back to last night, where Steph gets trapped in isolation. You could say, well, that's why you need ball movement. No, no, no. Coaches routinely go to isolation at the end of ball games that way because you want to guarantee that you get a shot. Because if you're passing the ball around, it can, you know, you can get the ball, can get deflected and whatever, and and you might not get a shot off in the first place. So. You look at the end of last night where it was basically a pick and roll. That's Steve Kerr in a corner, needing a basket, three-game losing streak on the line. What did he do? He went to a pick and roll with Steph Curry. And what happened? Milwaukee trapped him. Where did Steph go with the ball? Well, Draymond Green wasn't on the floor because he fouled out. But it was still pretty telling that he ended up going to Andrew Wiggins, who was an outlet, Several times in that game he went to James Wiseman, who wasn't in at the end of the game, but several times throughout the game went to James Wiseman, who was an outlet. So if you could run, pick and roll, but have real outlets, unlike Draymond Green, who is non-factor offensively anymore, but you could have an outlet coming out of those screen and roll actions like Wiseman or Wiggins, who can put vertical pressure on the defense, that's something else that the Warriors have not had in a long time. And there's a reason, by the way, that they signed Kevin Durant when they did, because, first of all, he was available. Second of all, they needed that isolation presence in the playoffs. They knew that when push comes to shove, that's what playoff basketball comes down to. Well, guess what? This Steph Curry guy is pretty good at that. He's pretty good at that. And so maybe you incorporate it more, not just for James Wiseman, but for Steph Curry. Let the dude cook. He's happy to do so. Behind Kyrie Irving, there's nobody better in the league with the handle. and, and, and I don't know that it's that far apart. Steph is a wizard with that dribble. And the way that he steps, I, I'm i talking about like percentiles, percentages. You look at the metrics. I mean, pick and roll, one of the best in the league. Isolation, one of the best in the league. Step back three-pointers, one of the best in the league. If the pick and roll is not working, just step back into a three. You don't even need to set a screen. Again, you don't need to make him James Harden in Houston, but you can make him James Harden in Brooklyn. And the Nets are pretty, doing pretty good right now. And they're still finding a way to get other players involved, and there's good motion and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be James Harden in Houston, but maybe you can make Steph James Harden in Brooklyn. It's time for the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. In sports, if you think joy only happens when you win, you got to think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all of their days grinding away, even though they spend a lot of their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning. It's not just the end game, it's the whole game. And if anybody know, came to realize that this last week, it was James Wiseman, who for so much of his rookie season would just get down on himself. He would uh, miss a closeout or a rotation or miss a layup or, or, or would botch something, as most rookies do and we would just get so frustrated with himself. He would slap water coolers, he would hang his head, he would get very down and and his teammates would come up to him on the bench and try to reassure him and tell him it was going to be okay. Well, in the first half of that game against the Bucks on Tuesday, he missed a easy dunk attempt in transition. Tried to make too much of it, went up with one hand, really tried to put it down in the rim and make a highlight of it and it The ball clanged off the back of the rim, went soaring away, and they missed the dunk, missed the transition opportunity. And I watched James Wiseman walk to the sideline at that break and wondered, okay, is this where his game goes south? Does he get down on himself? Does he get upset? Uh, does, Does he reel from here? And no, he didn't. He laughed at himself walking to the bench. Had a good time with it. It was really reassuring to see. And for me, having covered him this entire year, it was nice to see him. Some, he was 19, just turned 20. I, it's just hard to watch a kid like that just get so down on himself. And so it was very refreshing to watch him laugh and kind of make a little bit of fun of himself. And after the game, uh, when he was asked if he was having fun out there, he said, that bleep was fun as hell. And he could hardly contain his his excitement. You just love to see that from a guy who's really been working really hard and uh, and deserved that kind of happiness. So that's the joy that is going to help Wiseman get through the rest of the season. Michelob Ultra, 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's in my fridge right now. It's only worth it if you enjoy it.
1: Ryan, what do you think, man? Hey, Wes, my question was, what do you think Jordan Poole's ceiling is? It's
0: a great question because he's regressed a little bit, right, since since he came out strong. And and he had a nice game last night. I think ultimately, look, I think there's people talking about him maybe being your sixth man, seventh man, Andre Budala, Sean Livingston. I I think he caps out as like a Leandro Barbosa type for this team where he's not your sixth or seventh guy, but maybe he's your eighth or ninth guy. Microwave scorer off the bench can get you some buckets. And if you could build some chemistry with James Wiseman and and you get those guys into that second unit when when Draymond and Steph are taking their breaks – I think you can you can build a, you can can build anchor an offense around that. And look, Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell got paid off of that kind of dynamic. Uh, I think that that's probably where he ends up. And I, I'm a big Jordan Poole guy. I have been since they drafted him, and I know that he got off to a terrible rookie start. But I love his feel for the game. I like his passing instincts. He's probably not a pure point guard, but I don't think that pure point guards, you need a whole lot of those guys, especially coming off the bench anymore in today's NBA. Um, if you could just get... So if you can just create like a staple play like like we saw last night between Poole and Wiseman because that two man game was working um but his ceiling yeah i think it's you can't rely on him scoring 18 20 points a night like he was over that you know five or six game stretch but you could certainly ask for him to be a, a an important scorer off your bench so i'm thinking like eight or ninth guy uh what do you think i mean uh you watch a lot of the warriors what do, what's impressed you most about jordan Poole?
1: I mean, what's impressed me most is his touch. Like, we saw it a couple times in the Bucks game on those little, like, runners who got fouled. Like, his touch is absolutely absurd. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. But what I think his ceiling is, I'm a little more high on your ceiling. I think he could be a starting level guard, at least offensively. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty high on Jordan Poole's ceiling. Realistically, though, it's probably what you said, like a bench or – Starting, might le- starting like
0: level guy. guard on, like, a good team or or, or like, on a title team?
1: Probably not a title team, yeah. but on, on a worse team.
0: No, I, I I I agree with you there. I think like you can't teach what he has right—the feel, the touch. I love his little in-between game. I mean, I remember talking with him last year in Los Angeles. It was the first time I really sat down with him um, because I don't. You probably remember when. He, he had his first good game of his career in Miami and he came out and basically just like stiff armed the media and was just like, I yeah, played good. What do you want? And that was really the answer. I mean, and everybody was like, all right, dude, like relax. Um, He, he played, he started stringing together a few more games. I was like, you know what? I, I like this guy. You know, I was, I was, obje- like, I was admittedly a little biased because I liked this game coming out of Michigan. I was like, I kind of want to, I kind of want to get this guy to, to feel better with the media. So I had to sit down with him in LA at the UCLA gym where the Warriors practice down there. And I was like, Hey man, like, you know, you've been playing a little bit better. You've been involved a little bit more. How are you feeling? And we just had like a nice, like kind of heart to heart conversation. And then we got on the record and talked about, I don't even remember what I was using this, the, the con- I don't know what story I wrote off this conversation, but I remember asking him, I was like, what are, who are the guys that you grew up watching? And the first guy he talked about was Dwayne Wade, which is why he wears number three. Uh, and so obviously, you know, we we were best friends after that, but um, the other guy I talked about was CJ McCollum, which you find a lot with young players. They love watching CJ McCollum. He is like he is this this next generation sort of Drew Holiday. You hear people talk about Drew Holiday all the time with just reverence, like oh my god, we love the way he plays. One of the most underrated you know two way players in the game. You know young guards watch CJ McCollum like they watch. Dwayne Wade like people watched Kobe like people watched MJ like all these guys like they love CJ McCollum because he's got like this really cool in-between game and he doesn't do it with a ton of athleticism and all these things and um, he doesn't have great size or athleticism or anything but he just gets it done and Jordan Poole reminds me a lot of CJ in that way he's not a great athlete doesn't have a ton of size but he's got good footwork in that mid-range area good feel like you said Ryan great touch you can't teach that stuff and so I you know, maybe maybe his ceiling is closer to that. You, maybe you're right. I just don't think he'll be able to hit that with the Warriors because he'll be coming off the bench with Steph and Clay. But look, if he can do an impression of C.J. McCollum every once in a while, that's all they really need. And and so I think, look, I, I think they found something in Jordan Poole. And it's not just because of this recent like – he's got something you can't teach. This is not the Jacob Evans pick. You know what I mean? Like
2: mm-hmm. I don't
0: really know what Jacob Evans did well at a, in a basketball game, but I know what Jordan Poole does well. Uh, and now that he's a little bit more decisive – and he's getting to his spots, and he's figuring it out. Like, I really think something clicked in Orlando for Jordan Poole, and, and you know, I think it's exciting. And the fact that they picked up his third-year option early and they got him on the cheap for next year, it really bodes well for them because they're going to need guys like that, right? They're going to need cheap dudes like that to come off the bench and be a difference maker here and there.
1: Yeah, man, the 2019-2020 draft class, like, I'm pretty sure almost every one of those picks are NBA players besides Smiley Geach. Like, that really <laughs> bolstered my confidence in the – um in the front office.
0: I think they, I thought, I think this front office gets a bad rap for the draft stuff. I mean, I know, look, if you're picking 28, 29, 30 every year, coming off of finals runs, you're going to get mostly Jacob Evans and not really Jordan Poole or Tony Parker. I mean like that Tony Parker is like the guy who was picked at the end of the first round, who ended up having a great NBA career. Not a lot of guys picked at the end of the first round, have en- great NBA careers. And you know, this is still the same front office that drafted Jamon green. They found Eric Paschal in the second round. I know there's questions about him, but a useful player, at least, as a rookie, I mean he helped you that year. That's better than a lot of second round picks. Uh, you know, they have they, hit on a few of them. We'll see ultimately they'll be judged by the James Wiseman pick. And I still think it's too early to make any, you know, conclusions on that. But um front offices miss, man. Like the end of the first round's tough, the second round's tough. I think the front office has gotten a little too much flack for, for the for their draft record. Because again, when you find a guy like Draymond Green, you, you kind of you just you you kind of get the benefit of the doubt forever Uh, I know it's been a really long time and they've had some major misses but you just look across every other NBA front office every there's so many misses in the first round man like there's so many misses I don't know that the Warriors missed any more where given where they were picking than any other front office really has the only thing I would say is like when you have a guy like a Boucher or a Torrey Craig or like a guy like that in your system and then you let him go and you end up with like an Alfonso McKinney who doesn't really pan out or something like that instead or whatever it might be that's a little bit of a red flag, where you have other teams like Toronto and Miami and San Antonio identifying those players with more success. But that'll, I, I you know, maybe that comes with time because you know maybe Juan Connor Anderson turns into a player. Damian Lee has been a nice player, um, so maybe they do. You know, it's it's like everything; it's always hit or miss uh, uh, for these front offices. And I don't know that the Warriors have done a better or worse job than any other front office.
1: Yeah, and then uh, my second question was. The Warriors need to sign a 14th player in, like, two days, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Is it just mm-hmm. going to be Tiscona Landerson making the full roster, or are they going to pick up, like, a free agent?
0: Yeah, I think it's tomorrow, too. But uh, I, I think they'll look around the league. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they went with a 10-day contract route because there's just – if look, if there were a difference maker available, they would have signed that player already. Uh, there's just not. Um, so maybe this is a chance like last year where you give some guys a tryout. Maybe they look at their G league squad to say, Hey, you know what? The season's over. Let's give you a little bit more of an extended look so they could go in that direction. Um, I don't know what they do immediately. There's no urgent need to promote Wanda Scano Anderson. Um, you could just go with the 10 day route and make, and just sort of kick the can down the road after those 10 days are up, which my feel is that might be what ends up happening. Um, because, like, like, there's no – you don't need to bring Juan Descona Anderson up anytime between now and the end of the season. You just need to do it by the end of the season so that you avoid him entering restricted free agency, which I don't know how concerned they are about that overall. It would just be, like, one less thing that you have to worry about in the offseason, which is ultimately why I think they do it. It's just like, all right, you can kind of get ahead of that on a to-do list. We might as well just do it and sign him to a long-term contract. Um, That's where I think uh they ultimately go. Jack, what's up, man?
2: Thanks, Wes. Hey, Wes. Hey, Ryan. Uh- Hey, I just had a quick question to ask you because, um, you know, obviously listening to your Locked On podcast and seeing all the, uh, you know, moves that you thought would be good for the Warriors uh, at the trade deadline. You know, I'm just thinking to myself with with how easily other teams got players like George Hill and, mm-hmm. um, let's see, Evan Fournier, if, if this team was really, you know, that adamant about, you know, let's give Steph the best chance – why, did they not think that those two players, like, okay, George Hill, okay, he's injured, okay, and you know maybe he's going to play later on down the road, but he's a veteran guy who can make threes and who's a mm-hmm. good defender. And Evan Forney, he's basically a walking shot machine. Um, and they literally went for so cheap, and I'm pretty sure we could have made great offers for those two guys, among others. Like Aaron Gordon, I was even thinking about, but, you know, why do you think, they were so hesitant in signing these individuals. I get that, you know, um, Evan Fournier, you know, his, his contract is going to be up by the end of the season. But if they really wanted to go all in on this season and give Steph the best chance, like, forget an All-Star. Why didn't they really make any fringe moves at all? Like, what do you think is the reason yeah. behind that?
0: It's, it's a great question. I think ultimately it's going to be a mistake by this Warriors front office because... I'm pretty sure Kelly Oubre is leaving in free agency. That's not reporting. Yeah. That's be reading the tea leaves, and I don't know that he's all that great of a fit next year anyway. And that you want to pay him what he's going to make, even if it's ten or fifteen right. million dollars. There's been some reports that he's going to make twenty. We'll see, um, but certainly double, you know, certainly eight figures or whatever that is. Um, and so I think they should have probably sold him for a little bit less. But it felt like that there's two things at play a little bit here. My understanding, and again, this is not. It's not reporting. It's not not reporting. This is an educated guess based on some of the things that I've heard uh, from people who I talk to, not just in the Warriors front office, but in other ones. I, I feel like there was a, a, a multi-team deal that fell through and that they were prepared to move Ubre in a multi-team deal that probably had something to do with Kyle Lowry not getting moved from Toronto. And that when that domino didn't fall, Ubre ended up staying with the Warriors, if that makes any sense. Uh the, the difference is that they didn't have a plan B, or that their plan B was if this if this deal does fall through, we'll just keep Kelly Oubre and roll the dice in free agency. Um, I think that they should have made a move. Now, as in regards to a guy like George Hill, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know if they could have beaten that offer. Like the Thunder got a nice young player in Tony Bradley. I mean, he's a solid you know bench center. It's something to experiment with. I I don't think he's you know you're not you're not banging the doors down to get Tony Bradley, but he's probably a better prospect at this point than an Eric Pascal. And the Warriors weren't putting Jordan Poole in that kind of deal. So, you know, they, and they got a couple of second round picks and the Warriors probably don't want to move two second round picks to to get George Hill. And plus, I don't think you can technically, it would have been another three-team trade because you can't move Oubre back to Oklahoma City for George Hill because you just traded because of, you know, the CBA rules and stuff like that. So you would have had to do a three-team deal. And this is a front office that has notoriously shied away from multi-team trades. They prefer the one-on-one type of deals. So maybe that had something to do with it um and then for other guy like Evan Fournier yeah i mean if, if you're if you're Orlando you got a, i think what did you get a couple of second round picks for him and mm-hmm. and Boston took him into the trade exception i don't know i like fournier's another guy who's on an expiring contract maybe he would have helped you a little bit this year but i don't know if it was worth i agree it's not worth shaking up things this year and moving off of more draft picks right because that was the other thing you already moved off of one draft pick for Ubre to a, a, if Orlando was ultimately looking for picks and you would have had to attach picks to Ubre. Like, I don't think Orlando would have been interested in Ubre for a Fournier swap, would it? That doesn't help them. You could move Oubre over to Boston and work out a three team deal where Fournier ends up in Golden State, but we don't know that Boston had any interest in Oubre. They may have preferred Evan Fournier and it kinda of looks like they did, based on what he can provide them. And so, um, I just don't think the right deal was out there. I think they valued Ubre maybe a little too much. I would have I would have moved Oubre for anybody that was under contract for next year. Like If it was Chetty Osmond, I thought it was a no-brainer. If it was Chetty Osmond from Cleveland or Danny Green, we heard the Danny Green stuff from Mark Stein. I would have done it just to get Danny Green's bird rights because there's probably a better chance that you resign him than Ubre. At least he'd be cheaper. So I don't know. I think they made a mistake.
2: Absolutely, that was a. I thought it was a no-brainer because I mean, look at all the. I guess hints he's been giving us like after, (laughs) man. This is uh, now you're about to lose him for nothing and you lose that salary contract and. That's just disastrous, in my opinion, like, uh, just because if you at least lock someone down, like Aaron Gordon, you know, if you lock that position down, you could have potentially, if you valued Wiggins long term, you could have just matched Aaron Gordon's contract with Wiseman to go for an all star with the Minnesota pick and, uh um you know and your yeah, I, I don't know that they had
0: the I don't know they had the pieces to to go all in on the Aaron Gordon trade you look at what Orlando got for him you know you're getting draft picks you're getting a nice player in uh RJ Hampton um you know whatever they think of Gary Harris it was more for salary purpose um, salary matching purposes but uh i think you would have had to ultimately part with probably like Ubrey would have been involved in the trade you probably and you probably would have had to throw in the Minnesota pick or something like that. And I just, I think ultimately that's probably too much Mm -hmm. for the Warriors to give up for Aaron Gordon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But look, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because if Ubre walks in free agency now, what do you do? Because the sign and trade thing, I know it's, it's been brought up to me a little bit, but um, I I don't see the sign and trade thing happening. Uh, Even if you send him off for a draft pick or whatever, you know, if you bring anybody back, you're dealing with a hard cap. I don't know that – I think Uber, there's going to be so much – there's so many teams with cap space out there. They're not going to be motivated to give the Warriors anything back for Kelly Oubre. So he's just going to sign somewhere else. And now you're just limited to the mid-level exception and free agents. And if we've learned anything from this front office, they don't do a good job picking for agents. I mean, the Brad Wanamaker thing was as much a reason for the Warriors' struggles this year as really anything else because you were counting on him being a sixth or seventh man. And by the time he was traded, he was out of the rotation. Uh you can't win. And that's really what you're limited to, right? Is mid-level exceptions and, and minimum veteran minimum contracts, which is what you signed Wanamaker with. If you, if you whiff on a guy like that again, especially next year when the, when the stakes are going to be high, you know, that's tough. And you end up kind of in a position where at the trade deadline, you're looking around for some help and ultimately you can't find it and you just start selling spare parts for cash. Let's talk about Built Bar. Thank God Built Bar madness is over. I never want to think about how many of you love cookie dough and coconut flavored things again, but I'm happy to keep talking about Built Bar and some of my favorite flavors. Built Bar is great for health conscious men and women, whether you want to maintain or lose weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bilt Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great if you're starting a keto diet. They have 18 amazing flavors. My favorites are peanut butter brownie, toffee almond, and raspberry. I've actually started, uh, I had the uh, orange one that's covered in the chocolate again, and that that might be making a push into my top three as well. Certainly not cookie dough or coconut. They have uh, nut-free options for those of you who want to avoid nuts. Bilt Bar has been with us for a long time. They are friends now, and I've gotten a lot of emails from those of you who have tried it, and most of you seem very happy with it. Most of you are probably loving the cookie dough options, but I encourage you to try some other flavors as well. I mentioned the peanut butter, the caramel, the salted caramel brownie, some of the fruit ones, and so we're happy to keep them in the family and keep trying, trying new flavors because they really are, they really are delicious. I find myself looking forward to them uh, after my workouts or for like a mid uh, midday snack. So go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off on your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED1515 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Let's also talk about bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. This is one of the best times for sports of the year. No, there's no NFL, but who cares? The NBA is making the playoff push. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and the Masters are this weekend. Oh, I love the Masters. Augusta, spring season, azaleas. Online even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. So don't worry. There's always something to bet on. BetOnline even has you covered for the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on. Again, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you're gonna get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use that promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Brady, what's up, man? So
3: are we Hey Wes, how's it going, buddy?
0: Pretty good, man. How you doing?
3: Great, doing great.
0: What do you think the Warriors uh, – do you – well, I want to go back to last night's game. What was your impression of some of the offense that they were running last night?
3: Uh, before I answer that, I just have to laugh. Like The overreaction to that game was so funny to me. Like It was mm-hmm. a good performance, but the amount of takes I've seen that like it was this huge win that shows they're back on the track and whatnot. It's like, man, you beat a really good team that was missing – the MVP of the league yeah it's it's a good win but it it's not a great win
0: I in Um, my recap I wrote you know you go down the list of Steph Curry scored 41 points James Wiseman had his best game as a rookie certainly his best half as a rookie all these things and I was like well the biggest factor was that the two-time MVP averaging like 30 points a game over the last 15 games or whatever it was was not playing and was a late scratch because you thought he was going to be playing so yeah you're right I mean it's but you know you, you take advantage of a lucky break when you can get it, I guess. And you got games yeah. against the Wizards and the Rockets. I think that's a there's a sense that you know there's reason for optimism if you're just a Warriors fan, sick of watching them lose all the time. Uh, and certainly for me, who could use like the extra page views and clicks that winning <laughs> brings on. I think you understand me when I talk, when I talk about that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's 100%. not like all of a sudden the Warriors are going to go like make a playoff push now. And I've gotten those questions, you're right? Like I'm getting like is this the playoff push? I'm like what are we talking about?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a 1 point win over a decent team, like you take it, you, you need the wins with how far they've fallen, you need to bank wins any way you can, but um it, it wasn't an incredibly uh encouraging performance for me just because like you said so many things broke right with Wiseman having such a good game. Curry's Curry's true shooting percentage was 82%. Like <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curry is insanely good, but you're, you're not going to bank on him having 41 points on 82% true shooting every night against arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. So good. Um, but, you know, to your question about the offense, like it was, it was really hit or miss for me. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, Steph made so many shots that kind of covered up a lot of the mm-hmm. problems that were still going on in the offense. Uh, I did think that there was more movement, less stagnancy, which has been such an issue for them recently. And I, I thought there was more cutting. There were more passes. There was just generally more activity from the non-Steph people. Uh, I thought Draymond did a good job of actually like moving towards the basket when <laughs> he got those passes from Steph on the four-on-three. Because like, good things always happen when, when Steph gets trapped and he gets into Draymond and Draymond moves towards the basket. But so often right. Draymond just catches it and the defense adjusts and then you're right back to where you started. Um, yeah,
0: and the Warriors offense, they lead the they're like near the top of the league and passes made, but that doesn't really like it's just a lot of movement for the sake of movement. And you hit on an interesting point there where this over the course of this whole year, right, they have looked so much better when they're getting downhill and they're moving at that kind of pace that they, they, they moved with purpose from one side of the court to the other last night, which sounds like nothing, but it's something. And, and I thought the the amount of pick and roll that they added was really key in that. And when you get this team moving downhill, all the movement comes out of it. And it feels like Steve Kerr is, is hopefully coming to that realization. Maybe, again, we've had, like I said at the start of the show, we've had these start and stops with this offense before the, during this season. But if they start getting downhill a little bit more, I think Steve will end up getting all that ball movement stuff that he loves to see. It doesn't just have to be straight, hey, let's put James and, and Steph in a in – a, a high screen and roll action and just everybody stands in the corner. No, it doesn't have to be that you can, you can do that offense and get everybody else moving. And I think it not only suits Wiseman, but guys like Wiggins and Draymond green, he starts to play better when he's getting downhill to your point. I think, I I don't know. I'm hoping that this was an inflection point in the season. It's still, I said this before, but it feels a little bit different than the other start starts and stops because um, there was just a lot more set plays that were involved they had so much success that it would be just crazy to me if they didn't try to at least repeat it i understand like the true shooting and the stuff saving them as much but it worked better than whatever it was before that they at least looked to have an identity it would make sense to at least try it again
3: yeah for sure i mean that was not a game where if that was the first game that you watched this year you would not think that this was one of the worst offenses in the league you Mm -hmm. would think like oh that's a pretty decent offense like they're they're doing some interesting things. They have some interesting plays. They're getting some good looks against a really good defensive team. Because the Bucks are a really good defensive team, even with Giannis out. You know, that that's, that's just a good, solid defensive team. Um, yeah. So if you just, like, woke up from a coma and watched that game, you wouldn't think this is a horrible offense. So I do agree that there was some stuff to build off of there. And I think they need to take that and they need to run with it. Because I don't think it was you know, a coincidence that Curry played that well. I don't think it was a coincidence that Wiseman and Poole and Draymond played that well. Um, that wasn't just like everything accidentally coming together. There was, there was stuff there that was making that happen.
0: Yeah. And in a magical world where Steve Kerr decides, Hey, let's just make this a, a pick and roll heavy offense. And look, again, it doesn't have to be James Harden level offense, pick and roll stuff like in Houston, but where you incorporate more of those, those screen actions that are going downhill and not so much side to side, I think maybe we find, like, a new chapter in the career of Steph Curry where, you know what, maybe he is this guy who can just dominate in isolation because he can. I mean, his isolation numbers are insane. His pick-and-roll numbers are insane. His step-back three-point percentage is insane. Like, he could do it. And it would be, like, really cool if this next era of Warriors basketball, if they do indeed become a title contender again, which, you know, there's still the potential to get there, if it doesn't look like it did before, it'd be kind of fun if it looked new and fresh and involved a lot of Steph Curry being a hero, right? I think that would be really cool. And for all the naysayers against Steph, I mean, I remember earlier in the season, we're talking about, oh my God, why does why does Steph have so many haters? Look, I don't think it motivates you, but it would at least be interesting to see him do some of that stuff and maybe you know win over some of those haters who say that he can't do the one-on-one stuff, that he is just part of a system or just a jump shooter or whatever. Because when you watch him dribble and take guys off one-on-one, there isn't a guy in the league he can't get by. And what he's doing, you know, how many times have you, have we heard Steve Kerr talk about how strong he is and how better, how much better he's getting to the basket and all this stuff? Steph Curry is evolving as a player, and I think the offense, it would be better suited to evolve with him. It's not the same Steph Curry it was five years ago, right? Like, let's, let's go ahead. Let's do the isolation stuff. That'll be fun in the playoffs. That'll be fun to watch over the course of regular season. Let's get more of that because
3: he's so damn good at it. Absolutely. You're totally right. He's not the player he used to be. And the personnel is not the personnel it used to be. And You need to evolve and adjust to go with these things. He has new strengths. The players around him have new weaknesses. Uh, And it's at a point where it's like it used to be part of the reason why Steph didn't isolate as much was that he would get trapped so often. And he knew that if he got rid of the ball, they would get a higher percentage look. And that's not the case anymore. Now he's the highest percentage look. Mm-hmm. No matter what the shot is. Uh, and they need to, they need to play towards that a little bit. Even, even when Clay returns, uh, yeah. I think he needs to be more of an isolation player. And that's also just, you know, that's the way the league is going. It used to be that way, it kind of evolved away from that. And we're kind of evolving back into it a little bit more now where you need, you need those strong isolation players. You need to be able to put that pressure on a defense at the point of attack.
0: Right, because Kevin Durant's not walking back in that door, right? And, <laughs> no, he's that's not. The reason you, and that's the reason you got him in the first place, wasn't it? Was because you, there was a recognition that after you lost in the finals, hey, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, they were just taking our guys one-on-one and pick and roll and came back and, be, and beat the crap out of us in those games once they figured it out. We need a guy who can isolate and get buckets when we need him, Steph Curry can do that for you now. He is that guy. I mean, the the percentages, the percentiles, whatever metric you want to look at shows or just, you know, watch the freaking game. He can do it. Uh, and, and I think it's doing him a little bit of a disservice not to. And to, to your point with Klay Thompson, asking to build a, an offense around Steph Curry, who is so much more than what that offense is, what was and, and currently is, and then asking Klay Thompson – to be the linchpin of that offense too and do all those things coming off of two lower battery injuries where he's got to, you know, run around the arc all the time and do all these things. And he's even admitted he's not going to come back and play 40 minutes a night and be at an all NBA level right, right away, even though that's ultimately where he wants to get back to. It's a lot to ask of him and a lot. And so maybe it wouldn't hurt for him to stand in the corner and make corner threes at first, you know, and, and look, I don't think that'll be the case. That's, that's an exaggeration, but um, you know, if you're not building the offense around clay, and you're building it more around the other personnel because you don't have also Livingston and Bogut and Iguodala, you know, finding Steph Curry off of split actions and, and, you know, making something out of chaos anymore. Like this is a team that needs a little bit more set plays. You need to get a little bit more downhill. Wiggins and Wiseman are going to be major contributors for you for better or for worse. Um, and they don't have the passive vision that those guys have or the feel that those guys have. So just make it easy for everybody. And then when push comes to shove, Thompson's still going to be a really great three-point shooter. We'll see what he looks like defensively. We'll see what the lateral movement and stuff looks like when he comes back. And Steph Curry could just take over games for you at the end. And, and I and I think this would be a really, again, writing the book of Steph Curry, this would be a really cool chapter. And I think we kind of need it because just, you know, not to not to take him for granted as so many people have, but I don't know, I'm kind of bored of it. You know, let's see something new. Let's see a new Warriors, a new Steph Curry. I mean, we we'll would just be... Again, from a basketball fan perspective, really cool to just watch a guy like Steph, at his size, dominate in an isolation in a one-on-one way, the way like an Allen Iverson did, or something.
3: Yeah, that would be fun, though. I think, I think Marcus is going to hate you for saying this because he's going to have to release a, a second <laughs> version of his book if if we have a new chapter in Curry's <laughs> evolution here.
0: Golden but, boy one-on-one.
3: <laughs> um, but you know that, like that that Clay Thompson point is really good because you know, I feel like look at how good the Rockets offense used to be when it was just James Harden running isolations, running high pick and rolls. Right. And then he had like Trevor Ariza mm-hmm. and, you know, PJ Tucker or Robert Covington, all those guys who were just kind of three AD guys in the corners. It and worked. It worked so well because they were good shooters and you space the floor and you let your great offense player go to work. Like, I agree that, you know, Clay's a great player and and I hope he gets back to as good a level as as is possible. But if all he returns as is like the super version of Trevor Ariza, you can still build a great offense around that because he still has to be defended like 27 feet from the hoop. And if all he does is stand there creating gravity and then benefiting when Curry gets doubled... You could build such a good offense that, like you said, it would be so much fun to watch Steph do that.
0: And again, it doesn't have to be to that degree of you know ninety percent or running pick and roll and or or it's Steph Curry stepping back into a three pointer. It doesn't have to be James Harden in Houston, but it could be James Harden in Brooklyn, where you're getting all these other guys yeah. involved. Like if if Clay Thompson is Kyrie Irving running around the and getting open and finding holes in the defense and shooting threes. That's 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 damn good. And James Harden is having an MVP caliber year before he got hurt, and with this hamstring thing. But uh, that that might be. And by, and Steve Kerr could just call up his buddy Steve Nash and be like, Hey, tell me what you did there, um, <laughs> because that that to me would be really fun. And and I don't know about you, but I really enjoy watching Brooklyn, which is crazy for me to say because I never really enjoyed watching Harden or Kyrie Irving in the past, and I don't like either of them very very much personally. I have my opinions about them and Kevin yeah. Durant and the whole group, but man, they're fun to watch. You know, and, and, and you end up, like you said, like, <laughs> if you can make Ben McLemore a, a rotation player again or Trevor Ariza make, look young again, who has been in the league for 20 years, it's crazy. I'm doing this story on Steph Curry's first shot. And, it, and Trevor Ariza was on the floor as, like, a veteran during that game. And I was like, that was 12 years. That's crazy <laughs> to me. Um, But uh it was – um I don't know. it. it it, it, and then you're you're trying to ask so much of guys like Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins and these guys. It would make it easier for them, too, if they could slide into easier roles. And look, when the playoffs come, I, you know, Steve Kerr's always going to have some motion elements and stuff. You can, like you said, you can incorporate that stuff the way that it's being incorporated in Brooklyn, not the way it was necessarily incorporated in Houston. You can still have that stuff, but it, it's initiated with getting downhill, getting to the basket, putting pressure on the rim. Because that's what guys like James Wiseman and Andrew Wiggins, who, for better or worse, you are building around now. That's what they do the best.
3: Yeah, Um, totally.
0: uh, Last thing here. Um, Sam writes in, wow, just checking their schedule now. That's a lot of losing teams. Um, It's true. Uh, Houston and the Wizards coming up in reverse order. It's Washington and then Houston coming up. Uh, The Warriors have the fourth easiest schedule, I believe, according to Tankathon. Remaining, they're a game and a half up uh for that ten seed, maybe they build a little bit more of a cushion here over these next two games. They can come out of a three game losing streak with possibly a three game winning streak. It's definitely within the realm of possibility uh brady you what do, where do you think they end up uh Do you think they end up making the the, the playoffs here
3: uh, well, this becomes a semantic debate are we Are we calling the play in games the playoffs or
0: uh... <laughs> I said no all along, but i'm willing I'm willing to say that it is. I don't know. I really like the Warriors would consider making the play-in tournament. Is I don't think it is. Do they make the play-in? But so let's let's do it that way. I think they're probably going to make the play-in tournament still. Mm -hmm. Do they make the playoffs?
3: I lean towards yes. Um, I I still think that like when it comes to those big games, those kind of single elimination games, that having the best player on the court is the single biggest advantage that you can have. And whoever they have to play in the play-ins is likely not going to have a player as good as Steph Curry unless, you know, the Lakers really, really fall and then get <laughs> LeBron back. Um, so, you know, I think I think that we'll see a little bit more of a step heavy offense. I think he and Draymond will be motivated despite what Draymond has recently said. Um, I think they'll be a little bit angry. And, yeah, I, I just trust them. They've got the experience in the postseason. They've got the star power. Uh, I think... I think they'll, they'll win those play in games and get into the playoffs and then it will be ugly.
0: Alonzo Harris in the chat says, yes, he agrees with you. Jack, you're still, you're still tuned in here. What do you think? You think they make the playoffs, the real playoffs?
2: No, I definitely don't think uh, we can, you know, at that point in time with what, I don't think Steph's going to allow us to lose the play in games. And obviously I would feel really happy if we got the Utah jazz in the first round of the playoffs. Cause I think there's a real chance of an upset there. Um, but honestly, if we somehow face the Lakers and we take them out, that's literally like winning the championship for me. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I, 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 I'm not going to go so far as to say that the Warriors are going to upset a team in the first round. I, I'm, I think that they do have an opportunity to make it out of the play-in tournament and, and, make a, and get into a first-round series. And by the way, I think that would be really valuable for this team. If you can get playoff experience for guys like Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman and Jordan Poole, guys who figure to be part of your core rotation next year, um, that matters. I mean, it really matters. I know there's people saying that they should just tank and go get a draft pick. Look, you got the Minnesota pick. You got James Wiseman last year. Don't be greedy. There's something to be said about getting a fo- setting a foundation with some playoff experience. It's really, really hard and almost unheard of with basically the same roster to go from two straight high lottery picks to being a title contender. It's really, like, I don't know that that's ever happened, again, absent of a superstar joining a team. So um, I think there's, like, there's something to be said about... Some, creating a culture of winning, which, you know, that culture has started to erode a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, and, and like I said, it, it's much easier to sort of trampoline off of a playoff, even a first round exit than it, back into title con- ten, uh, contention than it is uh, from like, you know, a top 10 pick in the draft back to title contention. But all right. Thanks to everybody for joining me, Jack, Brady, Ryan, everybody else who talked in the chat. Um, good stuff. Uh, and of course, remember to subscribe to Locked on
2: Warriors wherever you get podcasts.